When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 149. Let's roll. And it is Puka Nakua week, I can tell. For those of you listening on the Player Profiler feed, I'm sure you caught my good friends, Mr. Andrew Cooper, and Mr. Matt Kelly on the Mind of Mansion. And, man, I, I've got a bet. I'm ready to take a bet with Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Podfather. I will take the bet that Puka Nakua outscores Michael Wilson in his career. I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side of that bet. So, Mr. Podfather, if you're listening, go ahead and put it down. Let's, let's do it. A, a friendly $100 bill, a crisp $100 bill that Puka Nakua outscores Michael Wilson for the career. I've got all that and more coming up with my guest and actually a long time coming. Uh, you know, me and Mr. David Gattieri have been dancing in the Twitter streets and and jousting and 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 and, and all that stuff. I mean, we've definitely gone back and forth and uh, David is a real dynasty mind, so I'm really, really happy to have him on. Uh, he's proven himself out in those streets, and he's uh, he's done a great job with what he's doing out there. He he can be found on Twitter at Guru Fantasy World. Mr. David Gottieri, a fellow East Coaster, Patriots fan, I hear. No, 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 I'm just kidding. He is a Ravens fan in New England. Now we got to get rid of that. But Mr. David Gottieri, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh... I'm doing great. Yeah, not a Patriots fan, a Ravens fan, because I started learning about football through Madden and not watching it. So uh, I was just attracted to that 2000 Ravens defense, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, you know, was indifferent to the Patriots. But as you can imagine, living in the heart of Patriots territory as a Ravens fan, over the years, I've I've transitioned from indifferent to, to definitely a Patriots hater. Uh, so we've had some good games with the Ravens and Patriots, but uh 
Yeah, I'm not not a Patriots fan at all. Well, Bill Belichick's favorite player is Ed Reed, so I think that stands to reason. He he always felt like you know he he would always tell Brady find out where 20 is on every play. That was that was the key to everything. And uh, so Ed Reed, definitely a legend, Hall of Famer for sure, absolute maybe the greatest safety of all time potentially. Yeah, I, I can't remember a defense ever being so fun to watch. True. Yeah, that's right. They actually made the defense like fun to watch. Normally, a defensive yeah. battle, you're like. Ah, this is going to be stupid with them. You're like, oh my God, what is going to happen? <laughs> is someone going to get decapitated? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's it's in play. Uh, of course, the the late great, uh, he's not dead, but he's dead to me, Bernard Pollard for taking out Gronk on multiple occasions. He, he can go screw himself. But uh, other than that, you know, lots of respect for the Joe Flaccid-led Baltimore Ravens who sometimes would, would give us our their very best. Uh, so, you know, a lot, lot of the uh, New England Super Bowls went right through Baltimore and lots of respect, I'm sure, both ways. So uh, enough of that, enough of that. Let me ask you the real reason that people are tuning in, and that's the dynasty takes. Well, I think there's no better litmus test to how you play dynasty than maybe the Puka Nakua conversation. I, I, I think there's probably a lot of nuance I'm ready to have because I've – kind of been touting Puka and now he hits and now it's like well wait a minute he's not that good and all the rest of it I'll ask you just straight up do you think this is real or do you think this is just a, a flash in the pan with Puka I would say it's somewhere in between I would say the 15 targets in a week that's that's a flash in the pan right. but I would say he is probably here to stay at worst as the Rams wide receiver too for the rest of the season. I mean, we know who Van Jefferson is at this point in his career. Tutu Atwell, again, did nothing as a rookie. So there's just really nobody to come and take that number two spot from him. The the conversation really becomes what can he become beyond that? Is he going to be a guy who can demand targets on a a weekly basis? How is he going to exist in this offense with the return of Cooper cup? Um, Obviously, still questions about his actual talent level when we just look at the prospect profile. So I think that's where you talk about there's going to be a lot more nuance than is it just, oh, is he here to stay or is he flashing the pan? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think the prospect profile is a little bit misunderstood. He was a freshman at Washington didn't play very much. And then 2020 was his sophomore season. And if you look at the the box score, you see three games played, nine catches, not much happening there. But that's not what happened. They, the, the team only played a total of four games. And in three games, he was basically getting three catches per game. He was basically, in the games he played, he was basically a 25% dominator rating. I mean, he was out there, you know, making some stuff happen. They had four touchdowns. He had one of them, you know. So, I mean, he's he was he was doing it. And, and then he goes to BYU and puts up dominator rating again. And here's the other thing. He, he, you know, I've heard people saying he ran a four, seven. I didn't see the four, seven. I saw a four, five, seven. He ran, he's pretty athletic. According to even, uh, you know, player profilers own website. He is about a middle of the road athlete as a wide receiver. I don't know when athleticism has ever mattered to elite wide receivers. I did something kind of cool. I was wondering how, how often, you know, a player has done what he's done. Meaning, went out there and in his first game of the of the season, first game he ever played, uh, went out there and put up, you know, eight-plus catches. Uh, certainly, by the way, nobody's ever put up 15-plus targets. That's a, that's a record. But there was a player who did 14 targets, 10 catches. Puka had 15 for 10. 
any any clue who that was in his first game? I'll give you a hint. His name is Anquan Bolden. By the way, Anquan Bolden did actually run like I think a 4-7, and he went on to have a, a tremendous career. I'm not suggesting that Puka is Anquan Bolden. I don't even think that's the case. But what I am telling you is that sometimes, you know, the athleticism is not necessarily everything, as it wasn't for Anquan Bolden. I think Puka is a, you know, somewhere between Debo and Robert Woods. He uh, he did not play the slot. He played more outside uh, in, in this first game. Uh, Tutu played mostly in the slot. So when Cooper Cup comes back, Puka can stay right where he's at. And the guy who gets stressed and pushed somewhere else is Tutu. So Cooper Cup plays the slot. Puka Nakua plays – what did I just say? Did I just fuck that up? <laughs> did I say that wrong? Cooper Cup plays the slot. Puka Nakua <laughs> plays outside. And Puka Nakua plays the Robert Woods role. And in that Robert Woods role, he gets uh, rushing attempts at what, and whatnot. In college, Puka Nakua saw a ter- tremendous amount of rushing uh, opportunities. As a matter of fact, he saw – let me look it up here real quick – 14 in his – well, junior year, sophomore year, third year, and 25 in his senior year. He averaged almost 10 yards a rush, over 40 rushes in his career, five touchdowns. I mean, he was explosive as a rusher, not just sort of, you know, here and there, a couple yards, you know, uh, at a time. He was explosive, touchdown scorer, a very dynamic player with the ball in his hands. And by the way, in the game that he just played, uh, he had a touchdown that he almost had, he basically like barely stepped out of bounds at the two or whatever. And then another one where he made a, a near diving catch in the end zone. So the, the game could have been a lot, lot more. And I think that uh, Matt Stafford was outstanding. And I think as long as Matt Stafford is healthy, Puka Nakua and Cooper cup will be his top two targets in that offense. Absolutely book it. Yeah. And we can talk about Puka, the player, uh, all day long, and we can keep going about it. But I want to yeah. take a minute to to just take the mic and just take a step back. And, yeah. and instead of talking about Tua, let's get back to that prospect profile yeah. and the base rates. So when we look at players drafted in round five or later, so this is a, a chart from Peter Howard who puts out a lot of great charts, and we're looking at the base rates. So we have just round five. I won't even bring in six, seven. Yeah, it's not good, by the way. I'm going to spoil this, but yeah, go ahead, please. (laughs) So out of 66 players drafted in round five, uh, wide receivers, specifically 66, we have a 4.5% hit rate for a top 24 finish, a 3% hit rate for a top 12 finish, in a 1.5% hit rate for top five finish. And this is not even layering for early and late declare status, which, by the way, Pukin uh, Nagu was also a late declare. So he, as a round five late declare pick, the odds of him actually producing a top 24, a top 12, a top five finish are sub 5%, sub 3%, sub 2%. They are not high at all. He will be a definitive outlier if he does any of those things. That's right. And then we talk about the week one performance, right? Uh, it, he looked great. He had a, a very good week. He showed up well in the reception perception reports. His percentiles, or these are not percentiles, but the success rates, 84% first man, 70% first zone, 87% first press. So he was doing very well as a route runner. But you talk about Anquan Bolden, right? Uh, so this was a tweet by Scott Barrett. He 
tweeted out the week one rookie target leader since 1992, which is when targets became a stat. Yeah. And at that top of the list, we have Puka Nakua with 15 targets. The other guy you mentioned was Anquan Bolden. And there was also another guy, Des Bryant. Yes, I know it. It's who, so good. It should be noted we're both first and second round NFL draft picks, Correct. not fifth round picks. And, and actually even more difficult to do it as a fifth round draft pick. That that actually speaks even a little bit more to me. Now, I will say the whole fifth round thing, you're absolutely uh, right on. But please continue. So, yes, you could say it's harder. That's definitely an argument. But when we look at the rest of this list, who are Anquan Bolden and Des Bryant sandwiching for week one rookie target leader since targets became a stat? Antonio Bryant, a round two draft pick who didn't hit 1,000 yards until year four, only hit 1,000 plus yards twice in his career. Ken Brown Tompkins, an undrafted free agent receiver with the Patriots who never hit 500 yards, was released from the team a year later. Sean McDonald. Uh, another Rams wide receiver, round four pick, finished with 21 targets in eight games after getting 15 in the first week. Never hit 1,000 yards those, in his career. How many of those 15 Let did me he continue. Catch? Never hit 1,000 yards in his career. <laughs> Rashad Green, a fifth-round pick like Puka Nakua, who had 13 targets in week one, finished his rookie season with 35 total, ended his career with just 30 receptions on 51 targets. So not to just lump it in it, but – a week one performance with 13 plus targets does not guarantee success by any means. We see, we've seen that's four players right there. None of them amounted to anything really. You know, I looked and, at the, I looked at that. Maybe Antonio hey, Bryant. Justin, I looked at the data a little bit differently. I pulled it up as I, I didn't want to go 10 catches because it would have been a really small list. So I just said eight receptions in that first game rather than, than the target number. And then I just looked at targets. But if you only look at players who were able to catch eight or more passes in that first game, that list shrinks quite a bit. And that now look, I'm also using first game of the season too, not just first game of their career, because I think first game of the career, you could have a guy come in and spot start something or something weird down the line. I'm talking week one, game one of your career. Uh, so th- again, if we would look at something different, but uh, the, the only players on that list at the wide receiver position are eight catches in their first game. By the way, Puka Nakua, Anquan Bolden, Des Bryant, Eddie Royal, and actually Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers joins that list, uh, which also was pretty impressive with, with nine catches on only 10 targets, which is a pretty good game for him. I know a lot of that was screens and but stuff. But again, like what did Eddie Royal amount to? What did Ken Brell Tompkins amount to? What did Sean McDonald amount to? What did Rashad Green amount to? A lot of these guys didn't amount to anything. Yeah. Not to just say throw Puka in the bucket. Right. I'm not in the camp that's like, oh, we're just selling for any 2024 20, too. Yeah. Just, I mean, if you're in a hard rebuild, you want to get points off your roster, you want to lock in value, uh, you know, to accelerate the tank, accelerate your chances at one-on-one, sure, take any 24-2. I agree I'm with not that. against the move. Yeah. But for me, the sell, I just made my first Puka Nakua trade. And I'm more, I am more on the sell side than the hold side. Um, I, I'm not just running out to sell for any two. I'm trying to get a one. I'm trying to add a little bit more and to bring back a future first. And the trade I just made, I sent Puka Nakua, Devin A. Chain, and Michael Thomas for a 2026 one. Yeah, and I saw there, that. It's definitely a, a lot of comments against it. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think there's definitely some uh, misconceptions to, to break down. Like, especially the main thing people are saying against it is 
Devin A. Chain was a late first himself, mm. and all you're getting back is a, a, a first. For me, that is such a misconstruing of the value proportion. Number one, uh, if you can sell, he was the two hundred one by the way in ADP. He wasn't a late first. He was the two hundred one. If you can sell a two hundred one for a future first at any point before anything happens, you are making that move a million times out of a million. It's not even really a a, a close value proposition if you can just get the future first and the upside back. back well, well, and also Devin A. Chain has also lost value since the since the rookie drafts early in the season. He has not gained value. He was basically a healthy scratch in week one. We're still c- concerned with with his outlook going forward as well. So it's not to say that he won't pan out, but you know, was, I had made a trade last week. I was uh, kind of big on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that they're going to you know be be good this year. All the rest of it, and I traded Kenny Pickett. Uh, for a 24 first and in, in, a, in a pretty competitive super flex league. And, and it's not to say that I was anti Kenny Pickett. I just also understood that it's not a foregone conclusion that Kenny Pickett is good. We don't actually even know that still. So it could be that he's not good. Same thing with Puka. We don't know that he's good. Yes, there are some, you know, some comps that, that, that are hopeful. I just think that I'm always looking at as a, I'm a gatekeeper guy. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm not so sure if Puka's good or not, but everything that we're hearing was, dude, Puka got underdrafted. Uh, Puka's been amazing. Puka's been the star of camp. Puka, you know, a lot of the guys I trust with film, Thor Nystrom, et cetera, are like, dude, Puka's the real fucking deal. Senior Bowl attendees. Everybody's just sort of telling me, no, Puka's real. He's a he's a real player. Should have been drafted higher. He absolutely landed in a great spot where he can be this Robert Woods player. And then it happens. And then when you hear all the things lining up to it and it happens, you go, huh, maybe this guy's something. I think he's the real deal. Do I think he's a an apex predator at the next level where he's a, a wide receiver one on his team? I actually don't think that. I think he is, I, like I just said, Robert Woods. What was Robert Woods? Robert Woods was an eternal two. He was a great two. Now, if, if Puka can stay healthy and 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 – you know, and and Stafford can stay healthy. I think he's got something there, especially with Cooper Cup coming back. Um, yeah, that that's just what I think. And is that worth a twenty-four second? Yeah, probably. Would I would I pay a twenty-four first, even late for Puka? Absolutely not. That's not even twenty twenty-six. Yeah, yeah, twenty twenty-six. No, no, yeah. Not paying I, any first. No, yeah. I generally don't like to spend a first, especially. Yeah, I'm I'm not a guy who usually sells my first, and if I do, I'm going to make sure I'm getting an elite player. Period. End of story. If I'm not getting an elite player, my firsts are not on the table. That's just a hard and fast rule. I think it sounds like it's the same with you. If I'm not getting something elite. I'm just not putting them on the table. A second, maybe, but I usually try and fashion trades in a much different way. I like what you did there. Someone had asked me whether or not they should uh, sell. I forget who they were uh, selling Puka for, and I said, doesn't matter. I said, you know, what I try to do, it was some middling wide receiver, and I was like, yeah, it's close. I said, what you might want to do is add something to Puka and see if you can get up into the, you know, the Drake London tier. You know, and, and if you can get something up there, you know, maybe someone who disappointed, you know, if you could find mm-hmm. a way to add a first and get Garrett Wilson or something, God, God bless you. You know, if you can move up into a tier that, you know, people are maybe soft on uh, on Garrett since the since the Aaron Rodgers injury, whatever the case, you know, if you can find a way to use Puka's current value to, you know, where someone sees him as another first round value and they're like two firsts for fucking, you know, that's where I would uh, utilize Puka and trade personally. Yeah, and I think another argument people were using against me because I was a competing team. Yeah. So I was trading away Puka Nakua, who could 
probably starting to flex for a couple of weeks. I was training Michael Thomas, who right now is healthy, and yeah. he's a flex-worthy player. And people – like, I still have a good team. So I'm starting Lamar Jackson. I have, um, let's see, Derek Henry and Travis Etienne at running back. I'm starting Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, Chris Godwin, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans. I have Kyle Pitts at tight end, but that's fine, you know, considering the, the rest of my roster. And that now I'm down to just McLaurin, Bateman on the bench at wideout. I have Rashad White, and people are commenting, well, now that hurts your depth. Uh, you know, well, what are you going to do now that you, if you need depth? And the way I'm looking at it, now I have extra first. I now have two 2025 ones. I have two 2026 ones. And with the rest of my roster, as, as soon as the team with the star goes rebuild, it, it, maybe I'm throwing four future firsts. At the team with just uh, Jamar Chase and adding Jamar Chase, like that's the next move is taking these first and going after another superstar player uh, and buying another start to just really make this a juggernaut squad. Whereas if I kept Thomas up and Puka and a chain, I'm not sure I can add that to a deal with with, with three ones for Jamar Chase. It's just not going to hit the same. Right. Um, so when I have those first, it's just such a more easy sell to package those up together and to now go get a true difference maker where if I'm just keeping every time I'm keeping the package of three mid players over first, I can't just go package 30 mid players for a a Jamar chase. It doesn't work like the other thing too, is that uh, a player can decrease in value. A first can't, you know, that's why we call it the iron bank. You put your, you put value, you store value in, in draft capital and it can't lose value. It just simply can't. The, it's just not possible um, for it to lose value over time. That's only going to accrue more and more value as you move forward. It's always liquid. It's just always there. So uh, with that being said, though, I want to also ask you about another, well, we can call him a wide receiver. He may not be a real wide receiver, if you know what I mean. Wink, wink. But we'll do that right after this. Justin, I mentioned... uh, you know, a, a fake wide receiver that we might talk about. And that is none other than cadaver. The Tony never been dead to more than now. We, we coined him cadaver. The Tony many, many years ago uh, when he was coming out of, uh, uh, out of school, I said he was dead to me. I'm not drafting him. No chance. Uh, then we called him Pinocchio. Cause he's not a real boy. He's not a real wide receiver. Those takes seem to be very prescient and very, very on point. I would ask you, uh, you know, were you ever on Cadaver the Tony or was he a person that you were fading the entire time? I can proudly say not only have I been fading Kadarius Tony, but I wrote a full case against him, which is published on Twitter. So it's in the archives. There you go. I don't have Your to make King it can up. find it. <laughs> you can go find it. I have been out on Kadarius Tony since the start. And there really is the way this was when he was injured. And for me, it was about so much worse. I have at least half a dozen reasons to fade Kadarius Tony, having absolutely nothing to do with injuries. <laughs> right. uh, for starters, he was never productive in college. It, and that's one of our easiest predictors of NFL success. College production translates to pro production more often than not. Yes. It has a high correlation. You go to the campus to Canton charts and look at his experience adjusted receiving yards market share. Not only was he not even average or above in any of his four seasons, he was not even close. He was like bottom of the chart. Four years of bad production, not demanding targets. Two, he was a late declare. And we talk about players who declare 
early after college have much higher hit rates than players who declare late after four or five seasons, just at the wide receiver position. This is via Sharp Football. Wide res- uh, early declare wide receivers produce wide receiver one seasons at a 19% hit rate. Non-early declare wide receivers produce wide receiver one seasons at a 2.3% hit rate. So early declares, 19% turn into wide receiver ones versus 2% of non-early declares wide receiver one finishes. Look at wide receiver two finishes. 30% of early declares put, produce a wide receiver two finish. Non-early declares, it's only 6.6% of the non-early declares uh, produce a wide receiver two finish. So we talked about Tony. One, four years of bad production. Two, late declare. He was a first-round pick. That is a good data point. But there's not really a whole lot of explanation for why, because he wasn't productive. That's He's right. a late declare. We look at the film. Matt Harmon is my go-to film guy for wide receivers. I trust in his ability to evaluate the position, and I put merit into the success rates that he charts. Yes, Kadarius Tony's chart uh, – we look at the good receivers. It's all green, like uh, like a Christmas tree. His is the opposite. It's all red, like stoplight. It's just bad across the board. So when we look at his percentiles in two NFL seasons, Matt Harmon charted Tony with a fifth, sixty third, and eleventh percentile success rate versus man zone press in twenty twenty one, and then in twenty twenty two, sixteenth, seventeenth, and twenty seventh percentile. Versus man zone and press, that's really bad. That's sub 20th percentile versus man in both years. And then we talk about the gadget usage. He is a limited application player. Yep. And a lot of people like to point to the injuries as why he hasn't had a full snap share. It's because he can't run the other routes. That's why he doesn't get a full snap there share. So, so when we look at Kadarius Tony's targets, according to PFF, 13 out of 53 of his targets – uh, were behind the line of scrimmage as a rookie. Behind it, 24% of his, 25, one in four targets were behind the line of scrimmage. Last year in Kansas City, 10 out of 19. 52% of his targets, including seven out of six, oh, that was both the Giants and Chiefs. Seven out of 16, 43% with the Chiefs behind the line of scrimmage. And so this leads to a, an inflated and a very misleading yards per round run and targets per route run. And that's really the only other data point that people have been clinging to other than the first round draft capital. But a third of the targets in his career are guaranteed targets behind the line of scrimmage. They're a scheme play that's going directly into his hands. So that's going to drastically inflate those numbers of your target per route run, your yard per route run. When you go on for a play where the ball is guaranteed to go to you and then you come off field for the next. That's right. That's just what's going to happen to the numbers and it's going to mislead people into believing that if you put him in a full-time role, you can extrapolate that, which you absolutely cannot because he's, you can't give him all the routes in the world and expect him to continue to get that many targets behind the line of scrimmage and get a target rate that high. Teams don't run that many screenplays. And, it and just on, doesn't happen. And on top of all that, I heard a rumor that um, Kadarius mentioned he was really disappointed in his performance because he had borrowed uh, MVS's ping-pong paddles to catch the football with uh, this past week. So... You know, maybe that's what happened. You know, I know MVS normally is the guy who's dropping it and batting it all around. But uh, if he's not even going to be able to catch the football, his limited, uh, you know, route success and his his gadget sort of tendencies, 
add that to I can't catch the football. Uh, yeah, this is not good. Another team had already traded him away for absolutely nothing, gave up on him immediately. That team also is in dire need of a wide receiver. Um, you know, they gave up on Galladay and Tony when they desperately could have used wide receiver help. So uh, there's just so many bad signs. There were so many bad signs leading up to the season. Of course, his injuries had been an issue. I don't love to fade players specifically on injuries, but if you add it to the pie, forget about it. Um, the, the guy that does actually show up a little bit better, especially in Matt Harmon's uh, reception perception, is Sky Moore. Boy, oh boy, uh, he did not earn targets in week one. He did not really earn targets in in year one. I'm not so sure he's an NFL target earner. Or actually, I'm pretty sure he's not an NFL target earner. What say you? Yeah, I'm throwing in the towel on Sky Moore. It's, you just got to take the L and move on. The, the, it is a little bit of a conundrum because like you said, the reception perception numbers are good and the rookie prospect profile numbers are early good. declare second round pick, yeah. second round pick early declare. And then we look at all the production numbers and you know, he was one of my guys. I wrote case for sky more. I was getting wrote one against Tony, but I also wrote one for sky more a year ago. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was in, he played, missed that one before big time. he played a snap. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me, why not just me, why we all missed on Sky Moore was looking at all of those good numbers and just not adjusting him for the strength of play. Bingo. And I and it just we have to adjust for small conference play. Totally. We have to do that going forward. Um, and I think that's just what it boils down to. At the NFL level, he hasn't earned targets. He just really hasn't. He has still at this point has not even earned a full snap. He played, I think he ran the most routes, but, yeah, but he was wasn't bad. a full-time route runner. Yeah. He's just he's just a guy. Yep, he's just it's a guy. And, and it's really sad because you're right, I was with you. There's a, there's another guy we're going to get to with the similar <clears throat> situation, uh, Jalen Tolbert. But before I do that, I also wanted to ask, um, you know, one guy that does have an amazing prospect profile. First of all, Rushy Rice showed himself pretty well. He did also have a big drop, but um, I think as a, as a rookie – you know, first game, first, you know, first, uh, first opportunity, big game, you know, uh, national television. I thought he played pretty well. He looked pretty good. I think he's going to elevate himself. Uh, Andy Reid was quoted as, as saying they're going to let Kadarius Tony quote unquote play through it. I don't know exactly what the fuck that means, Andy, but get his ass off the field. (laughs) Um, and I'd like to see a guy named Justin Ross get his opportunity. Uh, Justin Ross, if we go back far enough, was the wide receiver one in his class, obviously since then has had, numerous injuries and and things to overcome and but he's overcome them enough to be a pretty impressive player so far throughout the process um only got i think he only got a few snaps and earned a target made a catch nothing crazy in game one i mean there was no nothing to indicate any sort of future success or failure from him but i'd like to see him get a, a you know pretty good run with patrick mahomes do you think that's a little bit of wish casting or do you think this is going to be something that we actually get to see with Justin Ross. I mean, I don't see what their alternatives are. I mean, at a certain point, they're just going to have to put him on the fucking field. Yeah. Like, you're going to just keep running Justin Watson out there all season? It's, he's going to get a chance to play at this point. It seems pretty clear. Like, they're going to have to try and figure something out other than Kadir if, if that's Scott the case, Moore. do you think buying Justin Ross <laughs> – low i mean I, I don't know exactly how can you do that i don't know no one's selling for a three yep that's it that's it you, you either got him or you don't yeah. 
I agree. Or you get him as a throw-in, or you get him as a throw-in for a two-for-one where you think you're getting the better player That's right. and the other person. If I like your wide out more and you like mine and you're going to give me the wide out I like more and Justin Ross, that's a leverage deal. That's really about the I think that's right. to get him onto your team. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's exactly how you do it. You know, maybe a Jahan Dotson type of player where, you know, the market is – Pretty, for a Pickens and yeah, Justin Ross. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're, you know, those types of players, Pickens and Dotson, those are the types of players you want to put in that type of deal because one play, one dynasty manager may be much, much higher on one of those guys and one could be a lot lower. So the value could be quite different from one manager to another. And, and I think that's where it leans into a dynasty strategy of stepping back from your player takes because even the best bingo. player takers – in the game, we're going to be wrong. That's like right. We're just we're going to miss takes. We're going to be off on players. And if you're leaning into the side with the leverage of the insulation, and, Bingo. and that's the structure that you're focused on with your deals, and you're not going on the side where you're saying I'm right about this player take. I'm right about this player take. I don't need the insulation. I don't need. You're going to end up on the wrong side, Bingo. even if you're the best player taker in the game. That's exactly correct. I love that take, and and that's what I'm always trying to do. Is I, you know. It's not an injury victory lap because certainly the J.K. Dobbins thing like hurt my soul because he's one of my favorite NFL players. Like if we're just talking about NFL, not fantasy, nothing to do with fantasy. I fucking love J.K. Dobbins, so this one hurt. But earlier in the year, I made a trade. Uh, you know, uh, Dobbins, I traded him away for Rashad White plus a pick. And you know, in some ways, I was starting to think that might have been a little bit of an L. Although I did get a really good player with the pick, but that's besides the point. It was only a second round pick. Um, but it's like you start to go, wait, maybe I maybe I made a mistake, and then all of a sudden you realize you didn't because even as a great player take, uh, you know, analyst, it doesn't matter because there's a lot of different ways that it can hurt you. I mean, uh, and we saw it there with a with a guy like J.K. Dobbins. So sometimes I traded J.K. Dobbins before last season. I traded him, and this was a, for a future one two swap two years out. I traded Dobbins and a two two years out for Tony Pollard and a one two years <laughs> out. And I didn't think Tony Pollard was going to outscore J.T. Dobbins, but it's just the insulation. So it's really about that. And if I was on the other side and I had traded Pollard for in a two for Dobbins in a one, and I still lost Dobbins, at least I still have the one there. Bingo. Like, so you're insulated from being wrong about that player take. Whereas the guy who was trading Pollard in a one for Dobbins in a two. He lost twice. uh, uh, yeah, he lost twice. Yep, he lost twice, and that's the that's the key. So you got to be really sure when you're using your capital to move up that you're actually moving up. Um, and, and and I usually will do that uh, for wide receivers, and I'll usually move down for running backs because running backs are. I mean, we're gonna get there. We've got more. Oh, and I, and I just want to get <laughs> there while we're there because I was on the opposite side of one, which is really this is probably my worst dynasty team across thirty five leagues because of this trade that I made after the startup. I traded uh, the rising Ramondre Stevenson and Jerry Judy, who was coming off that se- bad second year, like he was deflated for the falling DeAndre Swift. Mm. And I thought I was trading up. I thought I was trading up for a running back that I love. But like you said, those running backs are fragile. Yep. And I was not only was I not trading up, I was trading, I was giving an asset away to trade down. Yep. And it really crippled my team. I ended up in uh, dra- drafting Bryce Young. Uh, I also had Trey Lance on that team. So that team's really bad. Now I'm just trying to basically tank for 2024 one and uh, accelerate that rebuild. That's it. That's it. Th- that, that's exactly the lesson. So you actually learned a lesson through practice, which is, of course, how I've learned that lesson. And it actually goes against your best sensibilities because if you asked in that moment, was that the right trade? Everybody would have been like, dude, 
fuck yeah, that was the right trade. Wait. It was split. It was split, but there was plenty on my side that thought we were just buying the dip on an elite DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Swift yes. while trading a what at the time looked like a committee running back. And I was very high on Ramondre Stevenson as well. Right. I, I thought he was the best running back on that team when I traded him. So I was just way too high on DeAndre. But it happens. It happens. And that's the that's the that's the key. Trade down at running back, trade up at wide receiver. You'll basically not go too too wrong with that strategy uh one of the running backs that's up at the top i don't know exactly where there there may be a little bit of a dip to buy here although i'm not so sure jameer gibbs in that same game uh what were your thoughts about jameer gibbs um you know uh in terms of moving forward what what, what were your thoughts were you encouraged by his efficiency or discouraged by his usage, I guess is the best way to ask that question. Very encouraged because we have the statistical data that tells us Jameer Gibbs is going to earn targets yes. at, when he's on the field. And I think the question was more, how is he going to hold up as a rusher at the NFL level? How is he going to withstand NFL defenses? And he was out there breaking tackles, look just looking like a guy who is going to be uh, also an efficient rusher on top. And that's – that really just adds a whole nother level of upside. So yeah, we're, we're buying the dip. Any if there's any dip on Jameer. Yeah, I don't know that there's very much dip, but if there is, I'm I'm also buying. I totally there, There's now a uh, the door's open where it's now like, all right, walk into my office. Now we can have a conversation. Maybe you're just still walking out with nothing, but at least the door's open where you can now shoot your shot. Yeah, there, uh, J.J. Zacharyson did a really good bit on his, uh, I don't remember which pod it was. It doesn't matter, one of his pods. So go check it out. Obviously, you should be listening to J.J. as much as you can. Uh, but he had pointed out that, you know, his two, he had two targets, and I don't remember exactly what David Montgomery had, but not a ton. The running back, uh, the running backs on Detroit only saw like seven percent target share in that game. Yet last year they saw like twenty percent target share, and he's like, "That's gonna correct itself." And yeah, you're gonna see that um, Jameer Gibbs is gonna receive more than two targets per game. This is probably gonna be a season low, and I totally agree with that. So the targets are gonna be there. Uh, I think Dan Campbell was also quoted as saying, hey, we wanted to sort of ease him in. I think he's going to see more uh, rushing attempts as well. So I think his usage goes up, but the eye test, he passed with flying colors. I mean, every time he touched the football, it looked like he was like – it was like a video game where he, his, his uh, controller was stuck on turbo. It was just like, holy shit, that dude's fast. And fast among other fast dudes is pretty impressive. Yeah, he looked good. You know who else looked fast? Brees Hall. Holy shit. I mean, Brees Hall coming back from injury. By the way, this whole fucking injury thing, little tangent, side note. How the fuck is Zach Ertz on the field after – like Zach Ertz, Brees Hall, Javante Williams. Injuries are like the salary cap. They don't exist anymore. They're just fucking fake. Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing by like week seven. What the fuck? And I'm, I'm, I'm buying the fact that Aaron Rodgers will be playing football again. I'm not buying that he's going to retire. That was, that was the next question. So you think he does play again. This is not going to sap him and take him out forever. He's going to do the work and he's going to rehab and he's going to make it happen. Maybe I'm no medical expert. Right. Let's just caveat it with that. <laughs> but I look and I see actual running backs playing on repaired Achilles maybe not at the highest level. I mean, Deontay Foreman is like the success story. Akers and Foreman, yeah. It's not saying a whole lot, but Cam Akers is playing. They're giving him uh, They're giving him carries. Something's wrong with uh, Cam Akers that we can't figure out. He's on a roster, yeah. though. He's still yeah. like, yeah. if he was that bad, like he's still functional enough to be on an NFL roster. Yeah. You compare that to a pocket quarterback, like 
when was Aaron Rodgers ever getting by on lower body explosiveness? Like, I think he's going to attempt the, the rehab. And unless there's a major setback, I, I would assume that even if he's able to regain some functionability, like these running backs who maybe they're not the same, but if he can move within the pocket, drop back, uh, function on his legs, I fully expect him. I mean, this is a new situation. He's, you know, been begging for like this stars to align. Yeah. He wanted wanted the receiver in Green Bay. They didn't give it to him. But now he got sent to, you know, the Jets where they have that stud young wide receiver. They have Brees Hall. They have the defense. And, and people say, oh, he's just going to hang it up. He's going to retire now because of Achilles. The a guy who's competed his whole life at the highest level, two-time MVP, the three, like in the best three seasons. Now he's just going to hang it up and say, oh, the Achilles got me. I'm not buying that. Yeah. Like, if I can go buy Aaron Rodgers for a 20-25-3 on a strong contending roster, uh, I think he might come back and give you a few QB2 seasons. Yeah. This guy threw 48 touchdowns uh, two seasons ago. Yeah. Like 37 the year after, he's got like 85-9 to touchdown interception ratio in, in 2020 and 2021. He was just such a good passer still. If he's got a semi-functional leg, you know, I, I expect him to come back and try and play again. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that take. I, I don't. I don't mind it. I just wonder. And again, not also not a medical expert, not a doctor. A lot of people think I am just kind of the way I talk. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of the. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Of course, I understand the misconception, but I'm not actually a doctor. Um, but the uh, I wonder. He's like four. He's pushing forty years old. And, you know, the healing process, I'm sure he's going to take a lot of ayahuasca, like rub a lot of mushrooms on it. And like, you know, he's going to he's going to use that alternative medicine to heal it up quick. But um, I just wonder at, at that age how quickly his body can actually heal that up. I don't know. And those are things I don't understand. And I don't necessarily I mean, I'm sure they're going to be pumping him with human growth hormone, whatever the fuck it is that makes it better, quicker. Um, you know, he's got some money on the line, obviously he pushed some money into next year. So I think the 2024 money is kind of maybe probably if I, I didn't look at it, by the way, but I think that is on the line for him. So, you know, I think there are some incentives for him to go out and play next year, including the ones that you mentioned, which are like, I kind of want to fucking do this thing in New York. So we'll see, man. I, I'm sure he's in a, in a pretty tough spot right now. But, you know, once uh, once it all sets in, you know, I think he, he definitely has what it takes to come back. And as you point out, pocket player doesn't need to be explosive, just needs to be able to, you know, uh, continue to deliver the ball as he has. So very interesting. I, I, I put it maybe at like 70, 30, he comes back. I don't I think he will, but. I think there's a window of opportunity for him to just kind of it, – it's just not taking – it's not – I don't know. It's a, it's a tough injury at 40 years old. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, agreed. So then we see Mr. Brees Hall. Mr. Brees Hall rips off the first run like fucking 80 yards. The second run was like 40 yards. He had like 110 yards on two carries. Like just absolutely awesome. You know, we saw this big playability last year. We see it again immediately this year coming back from injury. Um, he's clearly the best back on that team. This is what was a conundrum for me when when they you know, were, were talking about adding another back. When they talked about potentially would have drafted Jameer Gibbs had he been available to them, going out to get Dalvin Cook. Like All this stuff didn't make a ton of sense to me given the fact that you have checks notes. Brees fucking Hall. You know, it's like, just, you got him. You're good. You don't need him. It made me think, hey, maybe there's something a little bit more wrong with the knee. No, that's not it. I don't know exactly what their behavior is indicating. Uh, it's, so it's very confusing for me on that on that 
level. But what's not confusing to me is how good Brees Hall is. Given all that, is he now a top five dynasty running back for you or not yet? He's the consensus dynasty RB2. And that is where I have some issues holding him on my roster because I, I get scared holding these running backs at the the top when they're at the peak, you know, and Bijan will give him a little bit of a pass because he's so insulated, so great. But like Brees Hall, so his rookie year, I was selling him when he hit that RB1 valuation. I was sell, I sold Brees Hall before he suffered the ACL tear. I sold, and by the way, I got Brees Hall on some of my rosters before he played a snap by selling Jonathan Taylor for Brees Hall plus a 2023 one. And I posted that on Twitter too. You can go find the receipt. Google or Twitter uh, at Guru Fantasy World. Uh, JT, sell JT for Brees and you'll find it. If I said, if you don't sell JT for Brees plus one, you're making a catastrophic mistake. And people fucking hated it. Yeah. They hated it. They said, you don't sell Tyler the best running back at the top. Of her. And, it, and it, so I had massive success doing that trading JT for Brees Hall Plus. And then when I had all these Brees Hall shares, I cashed out on Brees. I was trading. I made one trade last year, capitalized on the ageism. I traded Brees Hall. This was a guy who wanted to go rebuild. Uh, He had McCaffrey and Tyreek, but the rest of his team wasn't good. So I traded him Brees Hall, Sky Moore, and a couple of twos for McCaffrey and Tyreek. And and now I have McCaffrey, and Tyreek has made my team so much stronger. So I look at now, all right, Brees Hall's again consensus valued above Christian McCaffrey, who is just such a sure thing for me. He's a a much safer bet for actual production. Uh, I I don't think his likelihood of falling off a cliff is comparable to other running backs at his age because of his elite receiving ability. So I see him having a high floor as well. I still see him having a lot of value and production insulation. So if I can now go sell that age again, I can sell Brees Hall for McCaffrey and maybe another contending piece, especially if, you know, we're looking at a couple weeks, the McCaffrey team ain't that good and they want to go rebuild. And now they want to sell McCaffrey and another veteran wideout for my Brees Hall and, you know, maybe a Marvin Mims or Jaden Reed or someone like, all right, maybe, maybe they're exciting, but they're not offering anything. Like I want to go get those producers. I want to pivot away from, holding that value at running back and I want to add the production. I want to, I want, like you said, I want to trade down at running back, trade up at wide open because when I've been in the opposite position and I've traded up for these running backs at the top, it never works. The, the switch, and it <laughs> doesn't work. Never and I've gotten burned every freaking time. Yes. Uh, and Javante Williams, another example was selling him. I was buying shares as soon as he hit the RB two valuation, sell, 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 trade down, add another running back plus. Yep. Like, so Brees Hall, man, Hate to say it, but yeah, he's a sell. Yeah, I mean, again, when you say Brees Hall is a sell, I, th- I think if you're telling me you can get RB2 overall pricing, that's fair. I will say, though, little not little known facts, but Brees Hall is less than a year older than Bijan and Jameer Gibbs. He is He's just turned 22. They are almost 22, so they're very, very close. And like in two years, he's, he's, he's literally – more than two years younger than Travis Etienne. You know, you're like, wait, what? Like, he's more than two years younger than Travis Etienne. And, you know, Travis Etienne is one of the younger backs available. Like, you know, so you look at that type of stuff and you start to say, okay, well, maybe this Brees Hall thing, you know, even if you take this year and throw it away, next year he's still, like, one of the youngest running backs in the NFL and still will only be 23 years old. So there's some insulation to Brees Hall's situation potentially, but I totally agree. If you're if you're talking about the very top, look, I had I had recommended selling Bijan again. 
I don't think you sell Bijan just to sell Bijan. You sell Bijan because someone's going to pay you an exorbitant amount. And if someone pays you that exorbitant amount, well, then you take it. You know, if you, you're like you say, you got a Tyree Kill and a CMC and things like that that literally change the, 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 the fortunes of your team. Um, you know, you can make a, a move off Brees Hall for those types of prices. And those so. names you mentioned are good names. Like we, you don't have people say, "Oh, you can't sell Brees Hall." They just say, "Oh, it's like it's all or nothing." Right. Like, oh, if you sell Brees Hall, you you have nothing. Like you can sell Brees Hall for Jameer Gibbs plus Travis Etienne plus. We talk about Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Someone's going to give me Saquon Barkley in a future first for Brees Hall. Bingo. What What happens if Brees Hall gets hurt again? Right. What happens if he suffers another injury? Well, he's already used up some of that insulation. I mean, it could be right back in that situation where these people who didn't want to sell uh, Jonathan Taylor for Brees Hall and one, they're saying, oh, damn, I should have traded Brees Hall for fucking Travis Etienne and one. What the hell? I should have traded him for Jameer Gibbs and one. You know, that kind of thing. Maybe, so maybe it's a one-two swap. One-two swap. Maybe you can sell Brees Hall and get yourself a Garrett Wilson right now. I think you can get Garrett Wilson plus, and I think you should be getting Garrett Wilson plus because the market has shifted completely in Hall's favor and out of Wilson's favor with that QB downgrade. So you should be getting a plus. You should not be selling him straight up for Garrett Wilson. Hmm. I think I would sell Brees Hall for Garrett Wilson straight up. I think I would if if I was playing in my own market with my own rules and didn't matter what anybody else thinks. But I'm in 35 leagues, and I know the vast majority of them will give me a Wilson plus. Maybe not today. If I wait a week, I mean – Garrett Wilson's stock is is deflating because yes. of what's happening to, to that quarterback. And Brees Hall's is inflating. It literally, they, most leagues people will pay Wilson plus for Brees right now, and I think that's a, a little bit more of a casual move. But I think that's what the ADP is going to settle at. If you look at the sites like Keep Trade Cut or uh, Fancy Calc, like that's where the voting is going to settle. Uh, I don't see anybody playing. Um, Brees Hall plus for Garrett Wilson right now, but I do see people paying Garrett Wilson plus for Brees Hall. So if I'm selling Brees Hall, I want to get the plus. Uh, and if I can't, then I'll just sell him in a different league where I can. Yeah, I, I would actually sell it straight up personally. Um, I, I don't have I'm a problem. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I don't have a problem I'm with okay it. With I guess it. what I'm getting at here is like, you know, where's Garrett Wilson? Are you really concerned with Garrett Wilson? Because it sounds like you have a little bit more concern. I have a little less concern. Uh, Garrett Wilson in his rookie season with abject, awful quarterback play earned 147 targets. He was great in week one. I think the jury is out that Garrett Wilson's dope. And yes, he might he might have to endure some bad quarterback play, but sometimes bad quarterback play locks onto the number one receiver. He might have a low catch rate, but I think he's going to be continually targeted uh, this year, even if he has to endure shitty quarterback play. At some point, he's going to get good quarterback play, although we've said that about DJ Moore, poor one out. Um, but, you know, I, I think he will eventually get good quarterback play, and and for those reasons, I'm, I'm in on Garrett Wilson. But um, are you a little bit more nervous about 2023 Garrett Wilson? I think Garrett Wilson is the only other wide receiver in the NFL who might be a, a Jefferson Chase level talent. I, I think he's that good. Um, and it's not that I'm not wanting to buy into him or that I'm wanting to sell out of him. It's it's simply about what the market is going to give me and that I should be getting it. And, you know, I'm that's the type of player I am where if the market is saying Brees Hall is worth more than Garrett Wilson, why the hell am I trading him straight up? Because I don't have to do that. I'm in 35. Maybe that's just a portfolio approach. You know, maybe you can't get away with that if you're playing in two leagues. But when I'm playing in multiple leagues, 
I want the value that the market says I should be getting. If I leave value on the table every time I just think I'm right, again, it gets back to the player take over the understanding your leverage. And I want to understand where I have leverage and I want to utilize that leverage to my advantage. And I think the leverage is in Brees Hall's favor right now. That's really what it comes down to. Fair enough. I think uh, right now I'm just on keep trade cut. Um Garrett Wilson, player 13, Brees Hall, player 20. So maybe that's that's a little bit lagging. I always will say that. but Let's check back on that in two days. E- exactly. It takes a couple it, it does. days for that. What is this, What do we got on fantasy calc? It, I don't know. But it didn't take that long for, for Puka Nakua to climb up to like wide receiver 30-something. And I actually think that's somewhat fair. I think he's somewhere back there. But, uh, yeah, no, I get it, man. Um, there's, uh, there's definitely, you know, like Puka Nakua – is the top five he's the top riser in the last 30 days you know it's like yeah okay good um but yeah so you may be right i don't know i think i think they're close enough but i the the real if you did a trade up i'm fine especially if you're a rebuilding team it's the just real much game theory play for me is, is selling you know running backs for wide receivers in the same in the same value tier because i think the the wide receivers tend to hold their value a bit more um, especially elite ones that's right yes for sure obviously not you know the, yeah that's right that's right yeah the top 10 20 uh top 10 15 wide receivers uh that 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 group probably 15 is the number somewhere in there um that group is just rock solid and so if you can find your way to getting one of those i think that's always good granted i think you know Brees probably is a little bit closer to i think he's a, a, a more of a win now piece right so I mean, you know, if you yeah, if you're more of a rebuilder, you want to be more into Garrett Wilson. If you're more of a, hey, I'm, I've got a chance to win right now. Although again, I don't know, man. This Jets team could be could be a trade wreck. I, I have no idea what to expect going forward with this Jets team. I know they 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 uh they, they had a big win and people were going fucking crazy for them. That's all I know. I'm praying they trade for Jacoby Brissett, even though I know they won't, just because I have a bunch of Brissett shares. <laughs> I yeah. was thinking, well, still, who still might come come back from you know the dead Undertaker style and take out Sam Howell, who might not be the guy. But it's possible uh, there I, too. They need a trade for somebody, whether it's Brissett, Jameis, like anybody but Zach. Well, you got to put at least get a capable second guy for for the inevitability of when he does suck. There, there's the there's the question, and you answered it, I think, but it's like. I I don't know how much you're holding Zach Wilson. I think I'm down to zero shares of 20 leagues. So never had a single share, never will. Okay, so I guess you're the wrong person to ask the question if you're holding Zach Wilson. But actually, any two, any two, any year, take him. So you're selling immediately right now. Oh yeah, his his value, what little value he has as a quote unquote starting quarterback in the NFL could evaporate within. Four days yes. by the end of this week, yep. it could be gone completely. Yes, uh, and it, it ain't going up a whole lot. Uh, you know, maybe he had some miraculous transformation that occurred from this past week where he also sucked yes. uh, after his rookie season. But it ain't gonna happen. Right. Like we just have to look at the reality. Zach Wilson sucks. He will continue to suck, and he will not gain any value. He will lose whatever value he has. Right. Yeah, now. I, I generally agree with that. I generally agree with that. Right. Um, I do think that the quarterback position is one where uh, improvement can happen. You know, if we look at Peyton Manning's rookie season, Troy Aikman's rookie season, you know, you see some rookie season, Trevor Lawrence's rookie season. Now, I'm not trying to put him in those buckets because I, I don't think he's that player either. But I will say we've at least seen it with quarterbacks. 
You just don't elite s- prospects. Elite that prospects. Ra- raises the question of your priors on Zach Wilson, Correct. how you viewed his prospect profile, yeah. where he only had one season. It was a really good season, but it was against you know a very low level of competition. Low. So I, I'm on the side that I didn't think he was a very good prospect to begin. Me with. too. So I don't hold any of that hope out that yeah. he has that. Um, Me too. But I felt the same way, and we'll jump here. It's uh, jumping around the show sheet a little bit. But I, I will, I will say, I had the same feeling about Jordan Love. And Jordan Love, you know, has I, I said on the pod last week. It's funny because everybody thinks I'm a Jordan Love hater, which I guess is somewhat true because I didn't think he was a very good prospect. I thought he was overdrafted as a first round prospect, which technically was fucking true because it's not like other teams were like clamoring to trade for his ass. Like, oh my god, why is he sitting behind? Rogers, we need to get our hands on Jordan Love. That being said, last week I said it would not surprise me if Jordan Love would go out and throw for 300, 330 yards and three touchdowns. He put up 260 and three touchdowns. The Bears are awful. I I, I don't know if you got a chance to watch that game. I did watch that game. I try to rewatch everything because I don't get to see everything live. Um, I watched that game. Guys were running wide open, like wide open. And a couple of his quote-unquote big plays were like, to another guy I said was going to have a big week, which was Aaron Jones, who went crazy, you know, with a short pass gone. So I thought Jordan Love played very well. I actually really uh, liked the way he was playing. I also thought it was about the easiest game environment for him to play well. Very little pressure. Guys running wide open. He made a nice throw to the in the end zone to Dubs. But Jordan Love's kind of the guy that I would say, hey, if he can do this. Now, that means that we'd have to wait four years for Zach Wilson because he's not going to do it overnight. But that's sort of the one guy I would say and point to that had a similar profile that could uh, be the litmus test. And I still am dubious about Jordan Love. So The thing Jordan Love had going for him was we didn't actually have a large NFL NFL sample on him through through two seasons. Or he had attempted 83 passes. Whereas with you talk about Zach Wilson – we had like how many games did he start as a rookie? Like we have an extended sample. Of, so we had a small, very small sample of Jordan Love not being good. And then we also had that one game where he was like completed like a th- or one half when Aaron Rodgers got hurt last year against the Eagles, where he completed like 60%, 67% of his passes and had that one touchdown to Christian Watson, where Christian Watson basically took it yeah. and just ran 70 yards to But we did have like one good game. And the rest was like super small sample, whereas like these other QBs, we have extended samples. So there was less certainty to be sure coming into the year that Jordan Love wasn't good. Um, so I think it's he's got that upside where maybe he is good. Um, I don't see that f- for Zach Wilson. Yeah. So let's let's move to um, panic time, potential panic time. I think the Atlanta Falcons situation is one of the most unique fantasy situations we've seen in some time. We see a team invest high draft capital, like the highest ever for a tight end, and then another high first-round pick for a wide receiver, and then they throw the ball 15 15 times a game. Like, there's just no out for Pitts or London at this particular point. I mean – Maybe on a weekly basis, you could get a spike week from one of them. But on a seasonal basis, there's no analyst worth their weight who's going to put London or Pitts, or certainly not both of them. You'd have to kill one to make the other one uh, you know, uh, successful. There's, there's just no math. There's no math. And then Bijan goes out and gets a 33% target share in week one. 
And if that's going to be anywhere close to where Bijan is, like 20% or something like that, um, there is just absolutely no hope for starting London or Pitts. Are you panicking here, or do you want to preach some patience with this uh, Atlanta situation for Pitts in London? Well, you say nobody will start Cowboys. The thing Kyle Pitts go, has going for him is that you can still start him because of the lack of alternative Correct. position. And that will always insulate his value in both redraft, very much more so in Dynasty. Yes, I agree. But he's not some – even in redraft, he's not somebody he's just going to – get dropped and sit on waivers like no he's gonna be somebody who's rosterable someone who you can start because he's that good of a player yeah. and you know yeah, he's the, gonna the have talent's weeks. undeniable the talent is absolutely undeniable i've said it a million times you know coming mm-hmm. out i was like i my, my, one of my best tweets about you know kyle pitts was kyle pitts is likely the greatest tight end prospect of all time and it yes. doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That doesn't – for fantasy, it doesn't fucking matter. Like you still need to have target opportunity. And I don't know where that's coming from. And, you know, I mean obviously he has target upside. Let's – you know, in a weekly in a weekly setting, yeah, Kyle Pitts could go fucking off. He's, he's one of the only players. If you said, hey, a tight end this week, eight targets, uh, 180 yards, I'd be like, was it Pitts? Like I'd, I mean who else? But it's not – that 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 is so far from like a weekly you know outcome it's so so bad yeah you're just getting average points per game i think from pits and you just need to just accept that you just have average tight end production for the current situation but that means more at tight end it's a much bigger issue for drake london where there's just a wide range of alternatives at the wide receiver position and that is means his value is probably going to continue to drop a little bit unless this situation stabilizes in terms of one passing volume to quarterback efficiency and i would say that's unlikely um so if you're buying now you're probably buying a, a little bit of a falling knife yeah although i would say that value bubble has popped and he's i would say he's de- leaning now more towards a buy than a sell totally i did switch him to a sell before the season which i f- Felt, feel really good about totally um and i tweeted about that as well just about situation about um like we've seen great talents uh we talk about dj Moore. there it is <laughs> talk about terry mclaurin yeah. these guys who after their first season uh there's this little bit of can do no wrong cloud around them and even if they're in a bad situation they're gonna be held to a high standard in the market um just because of how can you sell a guy who put up 850 yards in this target chair after being a top 10 pick as a rookie. How can you sell a guy? Situation does matter in dynasty. And we have to be conscious of these league worst situations. Um, because as soon as that second year starts, that bubble is going to pop and people are going to shift to a redraft mentality instantly. First game we see it instantly. It's now a redraft mentality. And, and Drake London's long-term talent, it, it doesn't hold the candle to the redraft production or it does, but not nearly to the way it did in the off season. Right. Um, so that's right for London. Like I do think you can buy him now. Like, and it comes down to like, we talked about Garrett Wilson versus Bruce. Like we look at Zay flowers, yeah. right? Like, do I think Zay flowers is going to have a better dynasty career and produce more dynasty value than Drake London? I don't, if I have to give you like a yes or I don't think that, but if I'm trading Zay Flowers for Drake London, I want a plus. Yes. I'm not doing it straight up I because I have the leverage. 
And the market says I should be getting a plus, so why the hell am I not? Because Drake Lund is not the only wide receiver I can trade Zay Flowers for. And this is, again, this is where I have to remove yourself from the player takes. But I love Drake London. But I love Drake London. He's so good. He's so good. It doesn't fucking matter what you think of Drake London if the entire market is telling you Zay Flowers is worth more than him. If you go trade Zay Flowers for Drake London straight up, why? Why? You're you're betting against the market now when you had the leverage. You just threw it all out the window. Yes. Like, so it, it really comes down to knowing the market, being... Uh, aware of the market, I would say using tools. If you don't like KTC, looking at sites like Fantasy Cal, where they're getting either votes in terms of KTC or they're pulling from actual leagues uh, in terms of trades to generate player values. Um, you want to know where the market is thinking. It, it, a lot of people go and keep trade cut and they say, oh, this guy's way too low. Look at the crowd's got him way too low. This is a terrible site. That's information for you That's to all explain. It is. That's right. You go to KTC and you see Zay Flowers is ranked way ahead of Draylon. All that's telling you is more people are voting for, for Zay Flowers. That's right. And that you can probably go sell him for Drake London Plus. Yes. So I think it's important to use that information to your advantage and not just say, fuck the market. I love my player takes. I'm going to just go <laughs> make all, all get all the guys I think are the best. That's, ex- that's exactly right. Uh, speaking of the guys that I think are the best, Bijan is like the fucking stone best running back in the NFL right now. And he's 21 years old. He's clearly the RB1. Um, the interesting thing in, in week one for me was that actually Tyler Algier outtouched him and looked great. I mean, they just have this awesome one-two punch. Do you think that that usage holds, or do you think it, 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 that Tyler will eventually get you know minimized in that offense? He's not going to get minimized, but it's not going to be to Bijan's detriment. Bingo. Um, I think they're going to continue to be the run-heaviest offense in the league. They had the fewest passing attempts in the NFL in week one. I don't expect that to change. They're going to load up Bijan, who, by the way, was also their most targeted player. Bingo. So uh, it, I'm not – uh, devaluing Bijan in any way, just because I, it, it appears clear that Tyler Algier will also have a role. I agree with that take exactly, the exact same. Like if you, if I could have answered, I would have answered that exact way. I think I don't. I think that usage does hold to some degree. I'm not sure what. Um, you know, it's interesting if you saw the uh, the depth chart when Cordero Patterson comes back. They basically called him the Joker. I, I love that because. Whatever the fuck that means is exactly what I think he is. Like he is a wide receiver running back type of play. He's not just line him up as a running back. He's just going to be all over the field. I think he's going to play a lot with Bijan. And what's cool is if you have Bijan and Cordero Patterson, let me just tell you right now, Bijan, I think maybe the closest running back in the league to actually being an actual wide receiver. And I'm saying that maybe even over McCaffrey. I mean, this dude is no get out of town. You're taking it too far. I don't know, buddy. <laughs> Did you wa- have you watched this guy? Like, he, first of all, he also have you watched Christian McCaffrey? Sure, sure. I've watched Christian McCaffrey at receiving. I mean, there's just there's just in terms of route running ability, like there's just nuances to it. Bijan I mean, with the had, ball in his Bichon hands had, as a receiver, sure. Bijan had a career but, 13 and a half yards per catch. Oh, he's a great college. receiver. Fantastic. <laughs> he's not the best receiving running back in the NFL. Oh, he's he, there's an argument. Once the ball's in his hands after the catch. No, I'm saying sure. down the field, man. He's a better downfield He's receiver. Great. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and tear down Bijan. Like like because here's the thing. If you're talking like, okay, McCaffrey is more like um, you know, a Wes Welker underneath guy, but he's not going down the field like Bijan can. He's not. 
Like I'm talking about Didn't McCaffrey have like a thousand yards receiving in a season. Dude, I mean, this gr- shouldn't even this shouldn't even be a conversation between McCaffrey and Bijan in terms of receiving ability. Ability? Hmm. I mean, he I- had a thousand yards as a receiver. Oh, let me let me know when Bijan does that. Okay. I mean, he he just got a 33% target share in week one. He's got a 13 and a half uh, yards per reception in college. Like this dude's legit. Every time you turn on. I just gave it to you because I got nothing to win in the argument. No, no. The fact that it's even an argument, obviously McCaffrey's the best receiving In your book it is. Oh, uh, oh, (laughs) here we go. Look, I just think Bijan. It's McCaffrey. It's the end of story. Uh, All right, fine. But look, Bijan is. And I might even put Jameer Gibbs ahead of Bijan. That's that's the debate. It's not McCaffrey. I, I think uh, I think Gibbs is is right there too. It's it's those three players. By the way, I I don't know Austin Eckler. I would put probably ahead of Bijan as a downfield weapon. Yeah. I'm talking about. Hold on, hold on. I think we're misconstruing things. I'm talking about a guy who could line up outside and play wide receiver. You don't think Austin Eckler can do that outside? Not in the yeah. slot. I'm talking an outside receiver. Go go line him up and play where Terry McLaurin plays. Like there's pretty much nobody. I think you'd have the it. same success Bijan Robinson would if you did that for him every play. Hmm. I don't know. That, that's all I'm saying. I'm not again. I think the slot usage, out of the backfield usage, wheel route. There's all sorts of different routes and applications of wide receivers. He can do it all. I won't. I'm not trying to deny. No, that I'm just saying like anyway. uh, when you when you line a guy up outside, it's it's a whole different ball game, right? These guys, some guys can play out there, some guys can't. You know, it's just a question of whether or not they can. And I'm not saying that Bijan could go be Terry McLaurin, but I don't think any of these guys could go be Terry McLaurin. I'm just saying, like, which which NFL running back most resembles a person who could go do that? That's what I'm saying, Bijan. It's a good it's a good argument, though. I love that you just fucking tried to body me with McCaffrey being the best <laughs> receiving back ever, which is pretty much what he is. So, um, you know, receiving back and, re- and and the ability to play outside as a wide receiver might be two different skill sets is all I'm, I'm pointing out. Uh, all that being said, I agree with you a thousand percent on the Algier. I think Algier might have been one of the best picks, like best ball and you know redraft. My God, his value was was so so good. And uh, if you missed him, you really only have yourself to blame. I certainly missed him in a few spots. Should have been drafting Tyler Algier everywhere. Topic. Three. I don't know about that. Still, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. He's still more of just he doesn't have. He's not a receiver. Nope. You know, he, I don't see him getting. A, a lot of rushing work. Like, yeah, he could score a touchdown, but I don't think he, you should have been drafting Tyler Algier everywhere. I'm not saying that. Hmm. Maybe we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, certainly where he was being drafted, I thought there was not much running. He's a decent best ball value. I would say that I would have liked to have a a few more shares where I thought he was more of a pure handcuff. I'm kicking my, I'm not, I'm not kicking myself because, Oh, I, you know, I should have been drafting Tyler Algier with all of those. I'm sure I made a lot of much more uh, idiotic picks wherever the fuck Tyler Algier was available. I, I, I'm not going to go do the, uh, I was drafting plenty of Damian Harris. I mean, I, I would like to have a lot, more Algier, or at least close to even yes. now, but he, he's no by no means a some sort of market shifter. Because no, no, no. He missed on Tyler Algier. That's he true. I agree with that. Backup. Speaking of market shifters, I was told Kenny Pickett was going to go in, go in and uh, dominate against San Francisco. It did not go well. It did not go well. I don't need to 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 run it all back, but uh, it didn't go well for Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Since we've now have Deontay Johnson, you know, hobbled. Are you panicking about Pickett or are you all are you in with Pickett? 
I have never, ever been in on Kenny Pickett at any point. And I don't know why anyone would be. This dude was terrible for, for four years in college. Like, he was just not good until his super-duper senior season. And he had one good year in his last year of college. And one of the weakest quarterback classes of all time. This dude was a late first-round pick as the top QB in the class. Late first. And then as a rookie, he had a negative touchdown-to-interception ratio. I mean, what is good about Kenny Pickett at any point other than, oh, he did good in one season he got out of small school in his last year when he was like 25 years old? Yeah. I, the only other data point that people keep throwing around is the most irrelevant data point of all time, which is preseason performance. Yeah, we talked about Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, and Jordan Love was one of them, but lighten up the preseason. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of regular season data against <laughs> yeah. against these players. Like yeah. The preseason, you got to take that, especially quarterback play. It, it's a reminder. These guys, oh, Sam Howell looks so good. He, they barely beat the freaking Cardinals in week one. Like it, Preseason, you have to take with a massive grain of salt. Massive grain of salt, 1,000%. You know, um, Although the guy who's done it on the other side of the field, who was who has uh, who uh, easy for me to say, who does have some regular season performances under his belt, is Mr. Brock Purdy. I would ask you in a very simple way: you have your rankings up. I know you've had them in front of you. Is Brock Purdy a top fifteen dynasty superflex quarterback? No, there we go. Top fifteen. There it is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's close, but it's not. No, no it's not. It's not. My 15th ranked quarterback is C.J. Stroud. Yeah. That ain't close. Okay. Well, who's no. who's 16? Uh, Daniel Jones, who I've listed as a is sell, that probably close? dropping. <laughs> no, he's the next tier. I have it. No, no, I'm saying so is, my, is Daniel Jones and Brock Purdy close? I have them in the same tier yeah. now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there's definitely a value gap that you need to get in a plus uh, just because of, you know, we talk about Jones's contract and long-term security where Purdy's still kind of trying to be that guy. But I was in on Brock Purdy this year, and this is coming from someone who was very in on Trey Lance as a prospect, bought into Trey Lance on my dynasty teams. Um, and then the end of last year, you know, it it just started to seem clear like they wanted Purdy to start. And I, again, I tried to remove myself from the player take and look at the numbers. One, Purdy was very good as a starter last year. Two, he scored a lot of fantasy points. He was the QB 11 in points per game as a starter last yeah. year. He was top 12 quarterback. And he was just loaded with weapons. We're talking McCaffrey. Ayuk, who was like my number one drafted wide receiver this year, who I just have been Obsessed with as a talent, who I think is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Debo Samuel, George Kittle, uh, throwing Elijah Mills, and then Cal Shanahan got place. You could not dream up a better scenario than the one Brock Purdy has been put into. You couldn't if you freaking tried. Like, it, he is there where we would want it to be. Uh, and the market was just devaluing because of the uncertainty. And it became clear that one of these guys. So I was still drafting a little bit of Trey Lance in best ball. I wasn't investing in, it, in him and his high dynasty cost. And I was just saying, hey, I'll draft Brock Purdy in the ninth round, 10th round of a dynasty startup. Draft, I've drafted probably 15% of him in best ball. Um, so I'm I'm in on Purdy. I, I would maybe be looking to sell out for Kyler Murray, like, or if I can get into a Dak Prescott. Like if I can go up and get one of those guys at the top, like that, that's where I would sell out. 
But I do think he's a, a riser, and I, I wouldn't surprise me if he's their quarterback next. We talked about Shanahan. Shanahan, if you look up some of his comments about the importance of having a quarterback on a rookie contract, they have talked about it openly and publicly about how it has allowed them to pay players like Nick Bosa, to pay players like Debo Samuel, to pay players like George Kittle, to pay players like Brandon Ayuk, who they're going to have to pay. They're going to have to pay these other players. And what allows them to do that? Having a quarterback on a rookie contract. That's why they wanted Trey Lance. That's why they're happy with, with Brock Purdy. And they're not going to just go out and, and sign another uh, high-priced quarterback. They're going to go trade for a high-priced quarterback. They're going to rock and roll with Brock Purdy. And, and they're going to see if they can win a Super Bowl with him. And I think he's probably their starter for another two or three seasons. Yeah, it stands to reason. By the way, you think that I picked top 15 quarterback by random, or do you think that I was specific? Guess. I'll give you only one guess as to who my quarterback 15 is in Dynasty. Only one guess. I don't see how it can't be Stroud. It's Stroud. It's Stroud. And so you and I, I didn't see your rankings, but it's Stroud. And so that's where it was like, okay, you start. If, to, if anything, maybe young, maybe have Stroud. Maybe, exactly. Young. Those are the only and two. we'll talk about that. There. But that's exactly where who I have at 14 and 15 is young and Stroud. And when you look at young and Stroud, I said, I was moving Purdy up, right? And in my ranking, I'm like, my goodness, like right now. Because here's the way I look at like quarterback value in, in Dynasty. Production and security, job security, right? If a guy's playing well and he's tethered to a contract, what the fuck's there to worry about? This is great, you know? It's like, you know, that's it. You know, how productive are they? And Purdy now just made himself a little bit more secure with Trey Lance being gone and, you know, he's still playing well into year two now. So it's like, well, okay, so if he's going to give me production and the team is in on him, uh, what else am I worried about? So I was like, okay, I can move Purdy up. I already was a little bit higher than market on Purdy already. And then I got to that sort of <laughs> that firewall of like Stroud and Young. And I said, wait, he can't go in there, can he? He can't go in there. I can't put him there. Even though right now, of course, if you're – Not yet. No, right. If he gets a contract, maybe. But, you know, when I, when I look at him, I'm like, I can't put him over those guys. But, like, can I put him right here at 16? And that's why I'm going to ask. Is he there? So for me, he is 16 just because I feel more confident in Brock Purdy's production for the rest of this season than I do many of the other players there. Um, you know, whether it's Mac Jones and Geno Smith, Daniel Jones, Jordan Love moves up for me. We're going to talk about that. Let's let's let me let me ask you a few questions. I think your answers are going to be pretty cool. I want to start with some of these quarterbacks in, in Dynasty, and we're going to be talking about Superflex. I know. The reason we're saying Superflex is I'm sure that you feel differently about quarterback valuation when you're playing in a single quarterback league. That much is obvious. We don't need to go over it. If you want to mention it, you can. But for me, single quarterback is all upside. Superflex is a little bit more stability. Um, who would you rather have in Superflex Dynasty? This one's going to be fun as hell to answer. Anthony Richardson or Justin Fields? It's got to be Anthony Richardson. When we just talk about you, talk about the security. Yep. I mean, I, I was Justin Fields. The two guys killing me after week one are DeAndre Swift and Justin Fields. I feel like I got all my calls right this year, other than those two guys. Like, I feel really good about where I'm at this year, except for DeAndre Swift. We fucking killing me. Hopefully, I get something out of him tonight to kind of, you know, yeah. right that ship. And Justin Fields, man, because. 
even if I think he was a good passer in college, which I do, and even if I think there's capable passer in there somewhere to be brought out, fact of the matter is, like, you just go on Twitter for five – there is film all over the place of just bad decision-making, not just from Justin Fields, but especially from the su- support system around him, the coaching staff. Uh, we talk about the play calling. They ran two designed runs. We talk about if you go to look at the QB school, uh, he's one of these noted film yes. watchers on Twitter. Yes. Uh, he did some breakdowns, multiple plays where there's as two receivers to run the same route in the same part of the field. Maybe part of that was just Chase Claypool who was an idiot who's running yes. the wrong route on a couple of routes. And maybe Chase Claypool is made inactive uh, and, and they got to start Equinemius St. Brown. But again, how good is that going to be? Like, oh, now they got to. S- Start Equinemius St. Brown. Like, and then we talk about, you know, like the play calling in general. Getsy is not proven. Like, we look at some of the quotes from the head coach, Eberflus. They asked him about DJ Moore and why he was taken out of the game on a first and 10 after two big plays. Basically, wishy washy said, well, he might have been tired. There might be a rotation. Uh, you'll have to, you know, you know, I'm not sure. You're the fucking head coach, dude. <laughs> what, what are you doing if you don't even have an answer to that? I mean, what are, is even your job? Like it just looks so bad from a uh, support point of view that even if Justin Fields is capable, it it just looks like they're going to sabotage the living fuck out of this kid and not really give him a chance. This is the greatest take. I I, I tweeted that the the Chicago Bears might have a, a dynamic duo, perhaps the worst roster in the NFL coupled with the worst coaching staff in the NFL. I, I watched that quarterback school guy. Uh, I, I like him. He breaks plays down. He does a great job. I follow him. I watch him and I look for things that, that matter. Now, a couple things happened in that game. Number one, they called one running play for Justin Fields. He did run and scramble, but it was all shotgun. Like they basically lined him up in a way that would be, if you asked me, it would be like, oh yeah, that's definitely the worst possible way to utilize this guy. Like legitimately. And then you watch the quarterback school. And even in those concepts, which I think are the worst concepts to run for Justin Fields, even amongst those, they, they had one play. I don't know if you saw the quarterback. So you got it. I sh- I've linked it. I sent it. I, it's, I, I, I retweeted it. He didn't know what the play was. It was not clear after watching the play, what was the fucking play? Like <laughs> that that's crazy. Like normally you can actually at least be like, well, this is what they were trying to do. It fucked up because this guy did no no no. I don't know what the fuck this is. You know, like it's so awesome because the play basically the offensive line uh pass blocks and the two receivers on the left like kind of just drift off into the fucking like they don't do anything. And the best one is 85 is commit. He just sort of he literally looks like if um if if a guy were to you're playing Madden and, and and the guy glitches, he just sort of glitches into the middle. He glitches into the middle? Like that that, that couldn't have been what the fuck they that, that can't be the play call. And Justin Fields then erroneously scrambles right and takes a sack on second and goal. Everything was so bad. It's like Look, when I see things like that, and and the other one that you mentioned where the two receivers on the left literally both ran like post corners, which they're like two yards from one another. Either they're both covered or they'd both be open. But if they were both open, the whole – the defense would have just been like, well, fuck these two guys. Let's go over on the other side. Like there's no possible way for either of them to be open ever running the exact same route right next to each other. That's terrible. So all those indicators – 
tell me that there's not a good support for Justin Fields. And that doesn't make me want him more. It just makes me even more concerned for him because we have questions about Justin Fields to begin with. So the roster is not good. The support isn't good. He may or may not be good. It is absolutely Anthony Richardson, who, by the way, on the other hand, he looked really good. And I don't know exactly what we'll see from Steichen. I mean, I think that's probably going to look really, really good going forward. But they're doing a lot of uh, of read option stuff where he's able to sort of put the ball in the belly of that running back, read the linebackers, and make a play. Uh, that's really good. Uh, I think they're, you know, his weapons look pretty good. Pittman look great. Um, I am, if they could get a guy like Jonathan Taylor on that squad, I'm not sure what the ceiling is for this for this Indianapolis Colts team. But I thought Anthony Richardson looked really good. He's tethered to that that first year contract. You know that uh, that you know Fields is now starting to they're starting to wonder. Hey, is this the guy? Year three, not exactly sure. You know, this is Anthony Richardson pretty comfortably for me. Yet I have them back to back in my rankings. I think it's a tear break after Anthony Richardson. I, I just think Anthony Richardson over Justin Fields easy. I'm with you a thousand percent. Yeah, I think he, the the window's probably gone to turn Fields into Richardson without paying a plus and yep. probably a decent one. Like I think if you want out, man, like you gotta go to Kyler Murray. Like you just mm. you gotta you might still be able to get a plus, but you also you gotta think about straight up, like yeah, and. There's a window because Kyler's out, but like if Fields is not the guy, by the start of next season, Kyler Murray will be valued clearly ahead of him, and there won't there will be zero doubt just because we know Kyler's a capable passer, you know, and he will likely regain a good chunk of his mobility. So, I think that's the way out. I still think Tua's valued below Fields. Like if you just want to play it safe, you could maybe get Tua plus. I don't know if I'd be selling them straight up yet. But I do think two is now probably they're they're in the same tier where you could say you could justify trading Justin Fields for a Tua. I would absolutely do that. I have Tua. Uh, uh, I'm moving Tua up. Look, the only reason that we were really concerned about Tua is the concussions. I suppose those still exist, of course. But you know, I remember that story being told about Brandon Cooks, who, by the way, Brandon Cooks out uh, maybe for a couple weeks could open the door for Jalen Tolbert. Jalen Tolbert was the guy. I was no, huh? stop it. What? Stop it. What do you mean, Jalen Turbert? No, no, no. I'm saying he's going to play. I'm not saying he's going to be any he's, good. We don't even know that. He's, he sucks. What do you have to, yeah. to hype up Jalen no, Tolbert for? I'm That's not hyping up Jalen Tolbert. What I was saying is that that was the player I was mentioning when I was talking about Sky Moore, who I think is probably – it's Sky Moore, Jalen Tolbert, meaning they're both – What did you nothing. like about Jalen Tolbert ever? You know, stop. Let's not go here. Don't don't ruin a good <laughs> podcast. Don't ruin a good podcast. Oh, um, Jay, you're a little broad, Jalen Tolbert. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying that he's going to play. He's going to play, and you know we'll probably see something very similar to what we saw with routes. Sky Moore. Nothing. Um, yeah. You know, but but Agreed. I but I think Tua moves himself moves himself up, and I would ask then Tua or Lamar in Dynasty. Oh, stop it! Really. You're the one ruining a great – we were doing so good. Lamar, you're throwing in the towel on Lamar Jackson. I didn't throw in the towel. He, Lamar Jackson has a season averaging almost 30 points per game, 28 points per game. He didn't have Mark Andrews week one, and now we're, we're turning this into a conversation? Okay. No, we're not, we're not going to do that. It's not even in the same tier. Okay. So then Lamar Jackson or, or, or Joe Burrow? 
Tua in a first, that's maybe a conversation. What about you know, a, it's, Lamar? It's Joe Burrow. Okay. It's Joe Burrow. You're playing. We're again. We're playing the market here. Like okay. even if I like Lamar Jackson more than Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. I can get Lamar Jackson plus in 90% of the leagues if, if I'm actually making that trade. So it's it's those two above Lamar. But we're not including guys like Deshaun Watson or Anthony Richardson or Tua. They're not in Lamar Jackson's tier. Okay. I, I don't disagree. I just think that right now Tua is going to be very, very productive in that offense. And production is something I'm uh, interested in. I like production as a fantasy player. And I also think that – um, I think his job is very secure. I don't think they're looking anywhere but Tua. So production and security, injury question maybe, but I, I just think he has to be considered right there with everybody else. If you remember, he was also he's young. He was he's that, highly drafted. Bingo. He's in a great system. He's got great receivers, great coach. He, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. I agree. He's, yeah. You should be buying into Tua. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I think Tua was probably the you know we should have been buying Tua. This Unless you can sell him for Lamar Jackson, yeah. then you should be selling the shit out. There you go. All right, I like that. <laughs> I, look, I am I am way over invested in Lamar in uh, in Dynasty, so he's my most rostered quarterback. Me too. So um, let's go. But I, you got to be start throwing a first and probably more to get him off my roster on top of Tua. I'm fine with him being my most rostered quarterback. I'm fine having Lamar. Jackson I've got Lamar and roster. Andrew. I like a guy everywhere. So I'm, I, I like a guy who can average thirty points per game <laughs> on forty percent. When's he going to start doing that again? Just uh, if you could tell me, because I really would like to see that. It's fine if it's later in the season. Just this please week. hurry. It's going to be this week. Please hurry. Oh, market book market 40, 40 plus points with Mar Jackson against Cincinnati with a healthy Mark Andrews. Let's fucking go. Let's go. I'm I'm ready for it. All right, Justin Herbert or Josh Allen? Who you got in Dynasty? It's still Allen. Okay. Is it? I mean, it was one week. What does the market say? My answer is, what does the market say? What does the market say? That's who it is. And that's who I should be getting the plus on the side of. I'm just saying, okay. So. Market says it's Josh Allen. It's Josh Allen. And then if I'm trading him for Justin Herbert, I'm getting a plus. Okay. You're in a startup and there is no market. You're just on the clock. And those are the next two guys on the I'm, board. I'm not doing any. Nobody's doing his startups right now. You don't, you, don't, <laughs> you don't like these. All right. I like that you don't like them. What about, what about, what about Stroud versus Young? What about that one? That one's there's no market. There's just a fucking choice. You got to just choose. I have young, but I don't have any definitive. I, I think it's a coin. Flip. I have young yeah. fifty one to forty. Yeah, me too, man. I don't, I don't. I have young because I have to make. I have to. I can't list them both at fifteen. I know. Both at fourteen. What? Okay. Here's the one I'm actually kind of thinking about. I haven't done it yet. Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence. It's still Burrow. Because you can get a plus in. No, no, I'm can't. just saying. Who do you like better in Dynasty? I'm, I understand the one who, who the one who's valued more. I can't in any spot trade Trevor Lawrence for Joe Burrow plus. I can't do that. I can trade Joe Burrow for Trevor Lawrence plus. So do you think? Here, here's a better way for me to answer it. This is the see. I know how you operate. Here's the thing. In three months, you want me to make player takes when that's not who I am. No, 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 no. That's not a player take. That's a value changing take. In other words, the way I look at it is I'm trying to give you tomorrow's newspaper. In other words, if if I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a better fucking season than Joe Burrow and in three months is going to clearly be ahead of him, just like we did. Look, I did this. That doesn't with, mean you rank him ahead now. No, well, kind of. Yeah, actually ranking him ahead of him is different. The, the, the market and my rankings are not – I'm just not going to – then why have rankings? 
your rankings are just the market? They not entirely, but they are. If all if all your listeners need to do is, is of go to keep trade cut, then why why do they have you? If I think Bark Purdy is going to be worth more than Daniel Jones by the end of the year, like you talked about putting him at the top of the tier, it doesn't fucking matter if Daniel Jones is worth more than him now. Because why am I going to go put Purdy ahead now when I should be reflecting the fact that I should be getting a plus in my rankings? Because if you're trading Jones for Purdy, you should be getting a plus. And that needs to be reflected by the fact that Brock Purdy is ranked higher. If I put Purdy ahead of Jones, now I'm telling you to go trade Jones for Purdy straight up, which is not what I should be doing. And that's not how I'm going to be a helpful analyst. So my job is to layer these players according to one, how I think they should be ranked two, uh, assessing how they actually are ranked in the market and then leaving them buy, sell or hold based on whether we're going up and seeking to pivot to these other guys valued in the same tier and get that plus or whether we're, you know, buying into these other players. So just because I have Jones ahead of Purdy, I have Jones listed sell and I have Purdy listed as uh, in between as a buy sell. So Jones is red, Purdy's orange. So I, I do agree. Maybe it, that could be a player take. It's a perfectly fine take if you said that, but you can't just ignore the market. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, 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 and I appreciate you clearly stating how your conversation with your uh, listeners and your followers and the people who, you know, try to gain value by, by following you. I appreciate that. I appreciate you sharing that. I do take a different approach. I feel like my listeners are at least aware of the market. I think we talk enough about the market that when I'm giving my, and I don't know if it's player takes, I think it's player value take. You know, I was telling everybody to buy. I had Trevor Lawrence over Kyler Wilson when it wasn't popular. And the advice was, you need to be trading uh, Kyler Murray for Trevor Lawrence plus. And so many people were able to do that. And now Trevor Lawrence is more valuable than Kyler Murray is. And it's not just because of the injury. I think he was going to start to overtake him maybe one way or the other. He started to do that even with their play when they were both healthy. Then Kyler gets hurt. Of course, that that further changed it. But I'm just saying that was one of the things that we were talking about. I had Trevor Lawrence ahead when it wasn't the value because I felt like Trevor Lawrence was going to see uh, a, a, a much stronger you know, 2022 that was that turned out to be correct. I think I'm starting to feel the same way about Brock Purdy. I'm not right all the time, by the way. That's not the that's not the lesson here. But the lesson for me is how are you going to utilize my rankings or my feelings about players? Like right now, Anthony Richardson probably isn't more valuable than Justin Fields. I, I don't know. Like it's got to be close. If I look at keep trade cut, I would guess that it's still you know Fields. I, I'm going to look right now just because I'm now. Uh, very curious about this because I think it's a very, very good conversation to have is value and market versus uh, – wow, they're back-to-back. Uh, and, and Richardson has just passed him, although um, Mr. Fields has dropped precipitously. Um, and Trevor Lawrence is over Lamar, and that's very interesting. So you know, I don't know if you have them that way, and you, you just said you don't. So I have Trevor Lawrence ahead of Lamar as well. I think Trevor Lawrence – I'm ready to move Trevor Lawrence ahead of Burrow, too. I think Trevor Lawrence is – I don't know if that's right or not, but I'm definitely willing to especially take on Trevor Lawrence and and profit because I feel like he's an ascending asset uh, at the quarterback position. I am very, very confident. I put I put Trevor Lawrence in that Burrow-Herbert uh, 
bucket last year at the end of last year. Anybody who took that advice is now, uh, you know, because look, when you had Burrow at the height of it, you traded Burrow for Lawrence. You got your profit. And now you're looking at them much, much closer to one another. I think that's how I look at it. I think you're probably the same. You just probably use different language uh, with your followers. Well, I think this is a huge topic that I'm glad we're finishing on that I want to just talk about. And it it really is important to understand what you're providing with your rankings. Yes. Like for you, say, if you're providing a player name in a number, and that's it. It's just a player name and a number. What you're saying then by putting Lawrence ahead of Burrow is saying, like you said, your marketers, uh, your uh, followers are aware of the market. You're telling them go trade Burrow for Lawrence Plus because Lawrence's should be valued higher, right? And it's important right. to understand what you're getting. For me, I'm putting a number, a name, and then I'm also putting a tag. I'm also putting that buy, sell, hold, and then I'm also adding a player note. So even if I agree with you, Lawrence would be should be valued ahead of Burrow. In my list, he's going to be two spots below him, and he's going to be listed as a uh, buyer or sell. And then it's going to say in that note, sell uh, Trevor Lawrence for Lamar yes. Plus, or it's going to say can sell Joe Burrow for Trevor Lawrence Plus. That. So that way you're having that information, knowing where you should get a plus based on how these players are ranked as opposed to uh, – asking them to be aware of the market and right. to interpret your rankings. No, that, that's so great. It's just I love important that. to know what you're getting. I love that. That's actually a really great way to go about it. I think that adds tremendous value to your listeners. I'm glad that you shared it because ultimately, you know, it's it's funny. I, I try to, you know, because if, if I tell you what did happen, we all know what already happened. It, the big thing is what's going to happen. Where's this moving? Where does that needle move? And, and some things are like, like right now, Joe Burrow, dude, he had a shitty game. Do I think he's not good? No, he's a top four or five. Like he's right there for me, you know, after Mahomes, you can make a lot of cases for a lot of different players right then and there. And I've been talking about that. So I think the Hertz, Herbert, Allen, Burrow, Lawrence, Lamar, I think maybe two is putting himself in that range now where he wasn't there for me before, but if he's going to play like this and he's going to be able to, to, to do what he's doing, I think he puts himself in that that, that group. I think there's a top eight now as opposed to a – He hasn't shown the upside in terms of points per game or rushing ability yet. Certainly that not. The others have. Certainly not. When we talk about the guys like Justin Herbert with a 23-point-per-game season That's right. on the resume, we have to see it first from Tua before. And I think this may be the season we do see it, which is kind of why I'm saying, hey, th- this is the whole – I don't thing. think he'll ever be in that tier for me just because I don't see him as that level rusher. I don't see him as that level talent. We'll see. We'll see. I mean – We'll see. We'll leave it at that. How's that? He could prove me wrong. We'll see. I mean, I don't know. I just think that he has to be an elite, truly elite passer because he's not adding much as a rusher. Truly elite. And it's hard to overcome not coming into the NFL as viewed as a truly elite passing prospect, not putting that up until however many seasons in. Like it's going to be hard for him to hit that and maintain that value in that upper tier. I think he's close. I, you know, I think he's close. I think it's somewhere in there. I mean, uh, he's more of that Dak Prescott range for me. I was going like, to say, do you do you have him below Justin he's above, Fields? He's above Dak. He's in the same tier. You have another bad week out of Fields, he'll be above Fields. Okay, okay, dude, great podcast, man. You were you were great. Uh, I like that we were, you know, showed the, uh, the 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 lightsaber battle a little bit late. That was fucking fantastic, brother. <laughs> I love it. 
I love it. I love it when people stand up and, and have a uh, conviction to their takes. And you definitely have that. Uh, that's why people want to follow you because they know you're not flimsy. Um, you know, you come out you say what you think and, and not afraid to be wrong. I fucking love that. I don't, uh, you know, that, 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 that's the, the true mark of someone who's in here trying to do the right thing. So, uh, for all that, I thank you for coming on. Hey, tell the people where they can find all your rankings and all your stuff. I know I'll mess it up. I got you on the on the start with uh, with your with your Twitter take, but uh, I mean your Twitter handle. But let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. If you want to find me, you can just go to GuruFantasyWorld.com. We got a website now that'll lead you to the Twitter, to the Patreon. Uh, there's free sample of the links that uh, of the rankings. It doesn't include the player notes, the buy sell tags, but you can kind of see the where I have them ranked in my top 12s and my top 24 in Superflex. So you can check that out there. Thank you so much, man. You were fantastic. And on behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of the greatest podcast producer to ever walk the land, Mr. Michael P. Duncan, you have been joined by the guru, David Gautieri. I am Jax Falcone. And we are out. <laughs>